Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for listening again to Let the Bible Speak. On today's program, we are going to share a sermon from Revelation chapter 7. It's part of the continued series through these opening chapters of Revelation. And we've come to the seventh chapter. I trust that today's study will be a a blessing and encouragement to your soul as we think about the safety of the people of God. The safety that, that God's people enjoy in light of the coming wrath of God when judgment will pour upon this world. We thank you for listening week by week. After this programme, there'll be a short break from our Revelation studies. Other programmes will continue to be aired, and we'll recommence our studies in Revelation chapter 7 sometime in the middle of the summer. And I trust that God will continue to bless and enrich your heart as you study the Word of God with us in this programme. Once more, please feel free to get in touch. Our email address is malvernfpc at yahoo.com. Well, let me pray for today's broadcast and to pray for you that God would speak to your hearts through his word. Eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God that shows us your Son, our Saviour. We thank you that we see our sin in the word also and we see our need of coming to Christ We do recognise that in the scriptures there are these words of warning that again come to us with power and we pray that you'd help us all to find refuge in Christ. He is your Son and our Saviour and so may the word of God be a blessing to each and every hearer today. Be pleased to speak through your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Revelation chapter 7, reading Revelation chapter 7 from the verse number 1 through to the end of verse number 10. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Asser were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Manassas were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. 
Amen. May God be pleased to bless His Word to our hearts. Chapter 7 of this book either serves as an interlude between the 6th and the 7th seal, or even more likely is part of the unveiling of the 6th seal. And we know from chapter 8, verse number 1, there is mention made there, and when he had opened the 7th seal. And so what we're seeing in chapter 7 is not the 7th seal, but it is what transpires before the opening of that 7th seal. Now, the seventh seal then is followed by the seven trumpets, and judgment comes in great force. And so it seems to be the case that as judgment comes upon the wicked, so the righteous are gathered together. At the end of chapter 6, we saw the scene as Christ returns, as the wrath of the Lamb is unveiled upon the world, and men seek to hide themselves from it while the wrath of God has come. Verse 17, the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And so chapter 7, to my mind, gives the answer to that question. Who shall be able to stand? Well, let me show you who can stand in the day of Christ's wrath. And so as judgment comes upon the wicked, so the righteous are gathered safely together. And so chapter 8 and 9 and following will deal with the unveiling of judgment. It'll give more detail regarding the wrath of the Lamb in the seven trumpets. But at this point, we are seeing that as wrath comes upon the earth, so the people of God are safely gathered together. That concept, of course, is not unfamiliar to the reader of the Word of God. You go back to Matthew 24. You go back to Matthew 24, and you'll see in the Olivet Discourse, there is the sense in which as judgment comes upon the world, so the people of God are safe. Matthew 24, in the verse number 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the sound of a trumpet. And here's the language. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. This is a reference, of course, in Revelation chapter 7 of the four corners of the earth, if you like, the, the idea of four winds, but the elect being gathered together, even as the tribes see and mourn. And so as judgment comes, so the people of God are safe and secure. You've got similar language, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, that of course deals with Christ bringing vengeance upon them that know not God and that obey not the gospel at the same point when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. Everlasting destruction at the same time Christ coming to be glorified in his saints. So there is in the language of the New Testament, in the Gospels and the Epistles, there is the coming together of these aspects of judgment upon the wicked and the safety and the security of the people of God. Now the company in view here in Revelation chapter 7, if you go back or go towards Revelation 7, go back to the very end of the chapter. 
And you'll see reference, the Lamb in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The previous verse, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Now for tonight, just please bear with me and let me just state this as an assumption. I'm suggesting that the 144,000, that's the same group as the multitude which no man can number. And the same group as those at the end of the chapter who are then being receiving the benefits that come from the Lamb. And if that's the case, then the company in chapter 7, that's the same company that's in view in chapter 21 of Revelation, Revelation 21, and the verse number 4, where it's, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Who's that company? Well, it's the company that is the bride of Christ. Holy Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned by her husband, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So this company in Revelation chapter 7, being the same company as chapter 21, is the company of the redeemed, those who have been saved in Christ's precious blood. A company living in unity, no diversity, knowing blessed security. And what a company this is, what a picture it is. And so in chapter 7, we're getting one angle on the church of Christ, the church on earth, into the church in heaven. The bride, the bride of Christ that's in view in chapter 21. We're seeing a different angle, if you like, here in Revelation chapter 7. And so let's examine this chapter in light of this view of the church of Christ. What does the church look like? What things are true of the church in Revelation chapter 7? Now, the minute I have five, five kind of headings that may go larger as we go forward in the study, but for now there are five. We have the safety of the church, uh, the sealing of the church, the standing of the church, the serving of the church, and the satisfaction of the church. So those are the five things that we'll look at in our coming studies. But tonight, let's begin with the safety of the church. The safety is mentioned there in verses 1 through 3. And the language here, if I can uh, just focus on verse number 3 for now, where the angel says to the four angels, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. There's one angel mentioned here, directing four angels to, if you like, to restrain the outpouring of wrath until the 144,000 are sealed. I'll say more of that later. The idea of wind here, verse number one, that the wind should not blow on the earth. The idea of wind here is a picture of God's wrath. Look back at chapter, chapter 6, verse 13. And the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And we saw that refers to the coming of wrath, the wrath of God as Christ returns, and there is that uncreation of the world in the renewal of the new heavens and the new earth. And wind is part of the pictures of the wrath of God. It is the stormy wind in Psalm 148 that fulfills the word of God. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. The wind is a, it's a, an agent in the hand of God often used as a symbol of the wrath of God. 
If you turn back to Ezekiel chapter 13, you'll see just one reference. I'm not going into the details of this portion, but Ezekiel chapter 13, and the verse number 13 says this, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will even rend it with a stormy wind, and here's the language, in my fury. And so given the context here, again, I'm not trying to read into Revelation chapter 7, wind is mentioned, but the wind is mentioned after verse 17 of chapter 6, the great day of his wrath is come. And is it not, is it not consistent with that to see this as the wind of God's fury? And so the angels are standing, verse 1, on the four corners of the earth, and they're holding the four winds that the wind should not blow, at least not blow yet. That's the idea. They're restraining the blowing of the wind upon the earth, and the four corners, of course, refer to the entire world. The four corners of the world. And so you have these four winds that are being held back, until, until the 144,000 are sealed. And then the implication being, then the wind can blow, and the wrath of God can be poured out upon the entire world. And so you see, chapter 6, the great day of his wrath is come. Chapter 8, the trumpets begin to sound, sounding in judgment. And chapter 7 is dealing with the safety of the church. The church safe in the face of the wind of God's wrath. See, when the wrath of the Lamb falls, the church of Christ is entirely safe. The 144,000 here, of course, multiples of 12, the tribes are mentioned, is language denoting the entire company of God's people. It's symbolic language. There are several reasons for that. And no less the one that Dan and Ephraim are not included in this. These are just language of the tribes of Israel and that are mentioned here in this portion. Figurative language, symbolic language for the people of God. And what I want to show you tonight is this corresponds very much with New Testament teaching. As the wrath of God comes, so the church is safe. We've already read Matthew 24, not going back there, but you saw there that as Christ returns in his glory, the elect are gathered together. And the idea they're gathered safely together. As God's wrath comes upon the world, so the elect are safe. You know, we do believe in the rapture of the church. Not the rapture that is often taught as a secret rapture, whereby the church is taken away in some fashion from the tribulation, but there is a church rapture that is taught, and that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that clearly teaches the concept of the church being raptured when Christ returns. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You've got verse number 16 there. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, this is language of the coming of the Lord, verse number 15. Christ returns. A shout, the voice, the trump. And what happens to the church? Well, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so 
shall we ever be with the Lord? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This clear teaching of the church being raptured. The church being taken out away from the scene of judgment. Delivered from that awful wrath of God upon the day when Christ comes and judges the world. Church is raptured. Now, what that verse does not imply is the church is raptured to be in the air and then stay there. The text doesn't say that. It says they are raptured, they meet the Lord in the air. But the implication is, in light of the rest of Scripture, that the raptured church then comes and dwells on the earth with the returning Christ. They meet the Lord in the air, and as they meet in the air, and judgment has been rendered upon the world, so then Christ and his glorified church descend to this earth and dwell there forever and ever. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. You see, you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, which of course teaches us about the, uh, the work of God in the judgment day, when the world is burned with this fire. Well, what happens to the church in that time? Well, you've got 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so I think the language seems to suggest, at least in my mind, that the church is raptured away from the fiery scene of judgment as the world is then purified. There's a new creation upon which the church and their glorified Savior come and dwell and reign forever and ever. I understand we've opened views regarding eschatology, but I think that is the simplest way to understand all of these various texts. So what you see in Revelation chapter 7 is the safety of the church. The wrath of God being held back, the church are sealed, and then when the church is gathered in, then the wrath of God comes out, but the church are not touched by the wrath of God. Is that not our great confidence? Like no matter what your eschatology is, no matter how you may see some of these things in, you, in the timeline of Christ's return, what we can all say with a certainty is, that it is a blessed comfort that the child of God has no need to fear of the day of God's wrath. No need at all. The day of God's wrath holds no fear for the child of God. Again, that's true no matter your, your eschatology, no matter your view of the end times. You do not need to fear the day of God's wrath. You do not need to fear the wrath of the Lamb. You're kept safe on that day. Praise God, you will be kept safe on that day. Romans chapter 8, all those who are justified will be glorified. No wrath will touch a hair of your head on that blessed day, the day when God's wrath is poured out upon the ungodly. You are safe and secure that day. Nothing, nothing can break that chain, the chain between your justification and your glorification. Hence, all things work together for your good. You see, listen to the language of the Word of God. Romans chapter 5. Go back to Romans chapter 5. 
This is the assurance of the child of God. This is our, our blessed hope. Okay, I understand the language in Revelation 5 or Revelation 7 is, is challenging. It's, it's difficult and what do we understand by it all? But listen to the clarity of Romans chapter 5, verse number 9. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And you say, well, I, I thought I already was saved. Well, in a sense, you are. You have already been saved. You've been saved by the blood of Christ. But there's a future salvation that you will yet enjoy. And the four corners, the winds in the four corners are being held back until all the church is gathered in. And then when the wrath of God pours out, the church is safe. Saved from wrath through Christ. You see, when we were enemies, verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Oh yes, Christ's death, it secures the pardon of all of our sins. We deserve to die. He dies in our place. But he's a resurrected Savior, and his life is ours as well. And his life secures us on that day, that when we are raised from the dead, we're not raised to face wrath. We're raised to be with our Lord forevermore. That's our great hope, our great confidence. And so you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. How does that portion describe even the very experience of the children of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. What happens to every believer? Well, we wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Praise God. There is no reason for us to fear the wrath to come. Oh, we hear all of the terrible things. We read the terrible things in the Scriptures, and we say, I am safe in Christ Jesus. That day holds no fear for me. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5 in the verse number 9 says this, For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What is your great hope that you will not face the wrath to come? It is not your holiness. It is not your good works. Your only hope is in the Lord. Your only hope is in the salvation that Christ has accomplished in his perfect righteousness. And so you, you look at all of your imperfections and you think, oh, I'm so imperfect. I'm going to face God's wrath. Well, yes, if you're going to stand before God that day and be judged for your own works, yeah, absolutely, even your best works are filthy rags. But in Christ's perfect righteousness, there is no need to fear. Payment God cannot twice demand. You have the assurance that if you're in Christ, even in all of your imperfections, your security is found in Christ and not in yourself. So the question comes to us, Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. I ask you right now, you here gathered in this room, those who are listening on, the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? Well, listen to verse number 9. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and tongues, and people and tongues, sorry, where are they? They're standing before the throne. Verse 17 of chapter 6. Who shall be able to stand? 
Verse number 9, here are people standing before the throne. And how are they standing? Because they're clothed in white robes. They're before the Lamb whose blood was shed that they could stand there. These are the gospel truths that we love. Praise God for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin and His perfect righteousness whereby we're clothed and stand in His presence. We can stand in the day of God's wrath without fear because of our Savior. That's our great hope. That's what we're praying for. We said last time we felt the obligation, the responsibility to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. Well, if we have no message, no hope to give them, what do we tell them to flee to? What we're saying, flee to Christ, the Lamb. He has, he has purchased redemption through his blood. There is justification whereby you shall then be saved from the wrath to come. We point them to Christ Jesus. And we encourage them that all they need is found in Christ. We have a blessed hope and a blessed gospel. Christ is sufficient. His work is sufficient. His work is successful whereby we can warn souls to flee from the wrath to come to the safety of Christ Jesus. You know, this is your hope tonight. Wherever you are tonight in your, in your mind, wherever you are in your spiritual experience, we come to pray privately at home or publicly here. Who can stand before God? Who can pray to God tonight? Who can expect to be heard of God tonight? Those who stand before the throne, who are clothed with white robes with palms in their hands. We are, if you like, we have a little foretaste here. As the church gathers, we have a foretaste of glory. And we also can join with that company, salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So perhaps tonight you're racked with guilt, or you're plagued with doubts, Aren't those normal Christian experiences? What is the solution to our doubts? What is the solution to guilt? It's not doing better. It's not trying harder. It's getting back to Christ and His sufficiency. Delivers us from the wrath to come. Never go far from the gospel. Never stray away from those great simple truths that we love. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, whereby all who trust in Him are safe and secure and saved from the wrath to come. May God bless and encourage our hearts tonight in His precious Word. Hurt not the earth till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Amen. May God bless His Word to our souls for his precious name's sake. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. 
we meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.